Back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun, a father-son podcast all about D&D. Uh, everything you need to know if you're experienced, unexperienced, player, DM. Trying to make a better campaign, trying to make better character classes. Yeah, trying to keep you informed game. on the new D&D content being released. Trying to play, uh, trying to play D&D with your family members. Exactly. In, in these times. In any times. In any times. The best of times. The best of times. Or the worst or of times. Or the worst of times. Any times at all. D&D is here for you. And we're here for you to teach you about the, the many mysteries and confusing uh, confusing things happening behind the scenes in terms of what are happening. It's as if you're being guided by our whispers. Exactly. We're, we're giving you some... Uh, oh, yeah. Guiding whispers. That's the name of uh, one of the features of some subclasses we're reviewing today. Nice transition. Nice like segue. That. Yeah. I did like that. See and what I did there? I did see what you did there. And we are looking over the new subclasses part four from the Inner Tharkana 2020 set uh, with two new subclasses, uh, which introduced the College of Spirits uh, bard. Yeah, I, I want to play a bard. I do. I do. I just, I just, I, there aren't any subclasses that really appeal to me right now. I mean, the College of Whispers is cool once, you know, sort of like a, a wild magic, you can play it once and then mm. you're like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. But I might, I think this one's not, I think this one's broken a little bit as many mm. of the Inner Arcana yeah, I think are. Um, that's, if there's any lesson we'll we like from a little this, bit, is but that, this, this isn't mm. a bad direction. I kind of like it a little bit. I like bit. the direction. It's going away from like, you don't necessarily need magical right. so instruments. You, know? like of, you could have something sure. else. College of Spirits is sort of like the character, if you've seen it, um, Klaus, I think, from uh, the Umbrella Academy. And in, yeah. in that, Klaus can sort of talk to ghosts and kind of get their help a little bit. And that's kind of where this sort of starts. Uh, and I kind of like that uh, a little bit, that idea, that concept of a character. Um, it's a very weird kind of bard because mm. you're not a minstrel. You're not singing or dancing or doing whatever. You've got this kind of other weird sort of like thing going on with telling or retelling the tales of the dead. I like that a lot. And um, we got inspired for another subclass of our own which is sort of completely separate by this by this very subclass yeah which I we mean, may release in the future yeah but uh, done differently uh, like we done differently but he would be more of a this. con artist exactly. and, and more actually about, like, that tall tales and that i would like really like to play mm. a much better deceiver uh, con artist yeah. bard um but today we we're talking about the college of spirits bard um just jumping right into it if you want uh take Every grade, like Unearth Arcana subclass with a grain of salt, because all of them are broken in some way. And well, that's, that's not okay. to say that actual classes in the player's handbook aren't broken either. No, it's true. There are there, there are, are many moments where you just need to accept flaws home in rules D &D. and change things, and that's okay. There's flaws in D and D, and it works. People, some people think they are flaws, and some people think they aren't flaws. It works some people see different flaws. flaws, and it works all the same. You know, yeah. regardless of some people are. Some people, you know, are more powerful than others. You're just kind of learn as you play more and more games as a DM what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And many Unearthed Arcana may not work for you. Well, and even in, as a player, not to get too hung up about On, the mechanics. Exactly. Mm, exactly. You know, that ultimately the fun at the table is going to come through the role play 
in the fun character you've made, you know, and the interesting and, character you've made. And don't worry about whether you've got the the most min max things. Uh, your roles at the table will still be valued. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can, you can still roll a one more you, than anyone else. You can or twenties, and you can you can always find a way to add value to a party. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're playing with some friends and you can kind of work stuff out together to make sure there's a balance on the team. Um, I, I play a character in, in one game that um, is just a complete mouth, like has he has, uh, has no real fighting ability and he can still be a valuable member of the team. Exactly. And learning that there needs to be some sort of deficit in your character, some sort of flaw or weakness beyond the personality background flaws, but also within right like your characters like your core character like they are fundamentally poor at something you know they you could even give them some sort of amputation or lingering injury to start off the campaign with uh depending on your background or what you see fit you know like you could be a character that has a limp you know and every time you try to dash you fall prone but you're you know, that also explains why you're an artificer or some sort of thing and you you're an alchemist who bro uh, brews sort of mutation potions to keep your like walking speed up or you're a blood hunter mutagen crafter well, something order of the mutagen and you can there's like things out there to increase your speed so that could be like an explanation of like you injecting this like serum into yourself to like you know get your speed back up or something you know and so you've got the, but it's got like side effects and stuff like that and so you're like going crazy trying to develop mutagens to like fix your leg and things like that. And that's the fun of D&D. I think people are going to find that, you know, no matter what you do character wise, getting around a table with like minded people who you like, I understand, you know, table dynamics and chemistry are a thing, but generally it doesn't matter that much mm-hmm. what you are putting them, that, that group of people together is what creates the fun. So, and Personally, I don't mind if people play the same sub like or not well, subclass is a bit too far. If people say play the same class, like if two people want to play a rogue, that's okay with me. They can sure. be completely different rogues. Sure. If like I know one person will play a scout all about exploration and and looking out ahead, and one plays a an assassin who's much more favored in a combat scenario or an urban environment or has criminal contacts and goes that route with it. I'm, those are two completely different rogues, you know. I mean, you've experienced playing a Furbled Rogue. We also talk about that in another episode if you want to check that out. But yeah, and who's more of a, exactly. of a ranger uh, type character, anyways? But yeah. Um, anyways, let's have a little look at College of Spirits. College here. of Spirits. Jumping right into it. I, I think we're just. Do you want me to read a little excerpt to get us into the mood sure. of the College of Spirits? Well, let's not read the whole thing, but yeah, we'll read. Stories of the past are powerful. They hold lessons of history, philosophy, and magic. Bards of the College of Spirits seek the stories of those from beyond the material plane. Using gaming sets, they reach out to hear stories, but the bards have no control over what story they find. And so right out of the gate, it sort of gives you this impression that there's sort of a lack of control almost in what you receive in terms of your tales that you receive and the spirits you talk to, which is okay as a concept. But as we'll explore this and get further and we can sort of explain why it doesn't really end up working and this is sort of the same with any sort of random thing and the idea is nice but it i think ultimately fails but we'll start off with so guiding as, whispers. as a bard mm-hmm. uh, yeah so as a bard you don't pick up your first real subclass uh, until third boost. level yeah until third most classes although there are exceptions including all the sure. ones that get at first level or the wizard or druid which get it at second level but these people get it at third level bards uh they and so college basically the the big bonus on this is guidance cantrip mm. um that the idea is that your 
you're somehow just calling out to the spirits which surround us at all times, apparently, in your campaign setting. Sure. I mean, Klaus um, is like always talking to ghosts sure. that no one sees. And, uh, and you've got a range of 60 feet. Which is crazy. Typically, guidance is a touch spell. And so the fact that you can do this from 60 feet away is an action. I mean, it does require concentration, but still, like, what a powerful ability. If you don't know, guidance gives you a D4 to, I believe, just an ability check that you uh, you or a target you touch uh, makes. But say your rogue is about to lockpick a door, you could, like, reach out to the spirit that whispers to you, hey, do it this way. Here's the secret to it. And, like, and you just tell your rogue, all right, you got this. You know, this is what you got to do. The spirit told me this. And I can add a D4. Um, or whatever situation it may be, like even a some sort of athletics or acrobatics check. Like I could imagine, like a a strong spirit, like trying to hold you and bring you down the side of the cliff, you know, without you falling, which could be uh, an ad addition to an athletics or an ac like acrobatics thing. But this is all about how you role play spirits helping you with specific ability checks. And the thing is, so guidance has got a little tweak to it. So it lasts for a minute. It's a concentration spell. Hmm the player the character that you cast it on doesn't have to use it until they've rolled and seen the result of the dice like their d20 roll so they don't have to burn it on the next thing they do if their next ability check and they pass is fine right um they can hold on to it they if you can keep your concentration up and don't want to cast something else i mean it only lasts for a minute but i know and i know it's a cantrip so in theory you can just like, recast it every one of your turns but you might want to do something else with your action next turn but you can keep your guidance up on somebody um and so the ghosts mm. are sort of continuing to sort of be with them until they hit that point where they narrowly fail mm. plus with your bardic inspiration like. it's a narrow fail like mm. situation right it's like if you failed by essentially one or two it's gonna help you exactly. get or even a that. four i mean a d4 goes a long ways you know like yeah um and actually, is a point for another sort of table rule. There's something that I do as a DM, and I've seen other DMs do this as well. I've stolen this idea. It's not mine. Um, and I think it actually may be mentioned in the DM's guide. Uh, the idea of, of allowing somebody, if they failed only by one or two on a check, to succeed, but at a cost. I think we talked about this in our DM's workshop, maybe. I'm not sure if we touched on this. I don't think we touched it there, but it is something that that I'll I'll do. There will often be a trade off of some sort, um, a, a minor setback of some sort in exchange for a success mm -hmm. on, and especially if the success is really kind of key for them to be moving forward in the story or plot. Then, um, yeah. Uh, so you know, the, the a D four guidance is fun. It's cool. It it's helps. simple. It's just a free but spell. It, it I'm honestly surprised that bards don't get it. But it, yeah, I mean, and this one's a nice big range. Exactly. On it. Nice big. And everybody foot likes. Range. Having, I like when everybody likes being able to roll modified. an extra dice. It doesn't hurt. But I, anyways, it's it's a pretty narrow. It only helps on the most narrow of fails. If you rolled a, if you've rolled trust a one, me, it's not going to. Guidance can always be helpful. Suddenly now that like five is a nine, and then someone else throws in a bonus. Like every d4 counts towards the roll. Like it can be a major <laughs> increase. bonuses you think your party's throwing. You know, like that. that could be crazy. That could be more than like, you know, a plus three longsword, you know? Yeah. 
in terms of a thing, although you can't make attack rolls with it. Guidance, still. guidance is fun. And I always love when cantrips are modified. You know, like uh, the Arcane Trickster gets a ledger, hand, Mage Hand Ledgerman where they can like pickpocket people with it. And uh, some Psionics get Invisible Mage Hands. And I like when cantrips are modified. Also, with the Grave Domain is a good example where Spare the Dying is a bonus action, sure. 30 feet rather than a touch action. And for this, it's a 60-foot range. Uh, which I think is very nice. I always like when cantrips are modified in this way. I don't see a problem with this. That seems simple to me. Uh, and also at third, and I suppose also at sixth level, it says uh, you're going to spiritual focus, which I think we're I, I've lifted a little bit for our which sub uh, which class that we're working on mm. currently. I, I like the idea of them having a spiritual focus as well. But it essentially means that you can use a candle, crystal ball, talking board, taroka deck, or skull, or your spell casting focus, or a skull inside a crystal ball. Wow. Or a candle um, inside a skull. This again makes me think of another movie uh, sort of idea where um, the mis Mystery Men, uh, and there was a character called the Bowler, and she had basically her father's ghost inside, who's like in like his skull inside a bowling ball. And she could sort of throw the bowling ball and it was sort of fly around and attack various things. Um, I can't help but sort of like, when I sort of read through this, think, okay, can I get, can I create the bowler somehow? Mm. Um, I mean, the spiritual focus here means that know, when you cast a bard spell, you can deal extra damage or store hit points uh, the focus, yeah. with an extra d6, essentially. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, what I'm you know that, like, I, I can't, I yeah. love, I sort of like, I think you could cast catapult with your spirit. Could you catapult your spiritual focus? I think the best thing of College of Spirits, um, this bard subclass, is how many other ideas it mm. gives birth to. I'm not sure in and of itself it's great, but as I read through it, I get a lot of neat ideas of things like, oh yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind trying to create that character, trying to do that. I don't think this subclass does that. Mm. I think this subclass doesn't provide a lot of great stuff, to be honest, but um, but it's a great inspiration mm. for other things. Uh, but the this is sort of the simple, like, all right, we're kind of introducing a couple things. Sure. But your bread and butter and, and as honest, a those college things spirits. So exactly. Those are okay. We don't have an issue with that per se, but the real sort of issue with the subclass appears in its main core thing, which we're going to be referring to all the time, which is the Tales from Beyond, a third level College of Spirits feature, which essentially lets you, um, after a, I believe after a long rest or after a short rest, uh, no, it's short, short rest. Or long. Uh, short or long rest, you can expend a use of your Bardic Inspiration to roll on the Spirits Tales table, which has essentially a random choice whenever you have like a Spirit session. A random spirit talks to you and gives you a bonus, which you can give to you or one of your friends during the day. And I'm just going to come like right out of the gate with this. The reason this is I'm not going to read all 12 of these. Yeah, I'm I, not going to read. You can read uh, if you want to look at it. It's on the Unearthed It's Arcana essentially website. a it's, bit of a wild magic table. Essentially. Which we've seen chaotic. in other places. It's not 50 options. It's instead 12. But And they're but, cut down by the number of, of exactly. choices. What level you are. Equal you know, to your Bardic Inspiration die. So when you first get this feature, you can only roll 1 through 6 because you have a d6. And I like that when you level up, the table gets better in principle. But in practice, it's just sort of sucks because the higher level you get the less control you have over this yeah it gets more and, and you're more never random. really gonna like get what you want from a situation to a point where this would actually be useful because there may be something on this list that you're like yeah. oh i love that idea for something this totally like is in theme with my character and be super useful for the situation but there's probably gonna be like a one in 12 or a one in six chance that you're actually gonna i would get like this. to see this almost look more like the way the battle masters maneuvers looks mm -hmm. where you expend superiority die or in this case inspiration die to 
perform a maneuver or, in or this a case, spirit like a whatever. tail or whatever, yeah call know? it a spirit move or whatever but those sorts of ideas if you're going to sort of do that um yeah that's i think that's kind of cool um but they should yeah they should be more these are all very and also when you read through them i'm not going to do it but they're they're quite mechanical mm, like each one of them sort of bonuses and things like that which I think or, is okay, but I think it's a little too wordy and a little too yeah, much, a little and, too bloated. And really, the thing when you look at, say, through Battlemaster and the maneuvers, like, it's all like, you very much can imagine the characters sort of fighting mm. with their style with this. I think it's very and hard for me to create, picture this. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're going to create this spirit sort of bard who's like bringing the ghosts in to sort of help him, all of the maneuvers in here, the spirit moves, should be kind of like you know ghostly sort of things levitating stuff around moving things about doing you know what i mean like it should have whereas these are much more like you've brought the spirit of a dragon into somebody and they can spew fire from their mouth and, and it cone. really feels like less and you're you know like, like you're just uh, like talking about spirits rather than embracing like the actual spirits um, around you and like yeah you know because i imagine like blue energy ghosts flying around the room and messing things up or giving like specific spells like i i'd imagine and that, and not, spells and again, to like animate and, objects or things like that and if you've you know, ever like, played a wild magic table where you just have to roll for stuff you're never all gonna of be this able to is choose. really like, weird and you've got to be a really good player to improvise with something that you've just been given very randomly and say okay here's your thing and now you've got to try it in that situation how am i going to use this and i mean if you're up for a game that's full of hilarity um go for it because I promise you're gonna have a lot of things misfire. Mm. Um, I play a, a character in a Eberron campaign who's at a, a random table, and yeah, it's it's good that that game has got a very like comedic sort of vibe at the table. It's not a serious game. Um, that's okay, and that's and, and it's, that's what I love about that game. Actually, it's it's goofy, but I mean, it's got a serious side to it as well. Like we've got actual you know campaign plot that we're chasing, but. Um, Anyways, I would recommend if Wizards of the Coast are listening or reading my survey responses to really rethink Tales from Beyond as a section. I don't think it makes a good bard. I don't think it makes a good mm, It doesn't make a cohesive character. It and just it, makes it hard to and it, you come lose, up with the and it character. Loses, yeah, exactly. It loses its theme a lot. Very quickly, exactly. Um, and none of the, like, I think our main point here is none of these really feel like you're conjuring ghosts forth, you know? Yeah. Or speaking with ghosts or things. You're just sort of like talking about, oh, hey, this sort of, there was this dragon ghost that talked to me. Okay, cool. You can breathe fire now. No, it's like, I mean, I mm. want ghosts that you can pull forth as a reaction that can catch you if you've fallen or ghosts that yeah. can, I mean, there's so many basic, like, like things of, floating around the room kind of or spell like spooky, frightening things that sure. could frighten creatures or, um, you know, you know I imagine that, that or possession even or things yeah. like that. Could you command a, a ghost to possess another creature or at higher levels, you know, for a little bit of time or things like that that feel ghostly where none of these really feel ghostly to me, you know? That's just the vibe I'm picking up from this. Uh, and I think we've been feeling six level feature spirit session, which I'm not really a big fan of here, but I think could be also cool in our witch sub or witch class that yeah. we're working on as well, which I like the thought of a lot, uh, although there would be slight tweaks, is the spirit session feature, like I mentioned. You can channel spirits to gain insights into magic. So this essentially entails an hour long ritual, which can be done during any sort of rest with your spiritual focus, your crystal ball or whatever. Um, but the whole point uh, here is you can conduct it with other creatures up to your proficiency bonus. So you can have up to six creatures at 17th level. 
And uh, at the end of the uh, ritual, you can temporarily learn one spell of your choice from any class list. So this is, you know, a fairly unique feature. It gives you a spell from any list. Which, as a bard, I mean, you already have magical secrets. This, this sort of is like, okay. yeah, I mean, like, why, why is, why are we doing this for the bard again? Like the, I think this, like, the idea of like these talking spirits and they grant you the secret spell that you wouldn't yeah, typically have used to, but like use for, which I like the idea of a lot, and I like in our witch thing. But the thing I would it change feels about so this, much more primary spellcaster mm, exactly. than it does like a bard class, which is such a a jack of all trades, like a mixed match of things. I, I think um, this could be very like they bards can absolutely they are primary casters they go up to I ninth know. level they you know they scale with spells typically and are all about their spell casting yeah, i mean i would make that whatnot, old tales but, from beyond section ghostly ways to do spells that bards don't normally do sure i think or even giving unique things like, to, like, like spells like that are levitated in a unique and way tensor exactly. floating discs and uh, unseen servants and, and yeah exactly know. yeah those cause fear so yeah things. cause fears which like scary things appear mm, like um, phantom or like what's that phantasmal force that sort yeah. of stuff you know giving sort of like spooky ghostly apparitions and and even like i, I mentioned before position i think it's a cool idea yeah. that isn't really toyed enough with in fifth edition um and lots, be really cool lots of different choices through to do those sorts of things mm. uh would be fun Whereas this then, you know, this idea, okay, now I can just pull a spell from kind of anywhere. But it's it, an annoying for the whole party as well because you have to whole, do this whole thing. All right, who's doing the ritual with me? Like the first two times, like, all right, we're in this together as a group. And I have this, like, maybe you and the DM have this big sort of thing you describe. But then after those, like, first two sort of novelty that's cool times, it's like, all right, let's uh, – the thing just works, you know. Like, right, we there's do no, a, like, exactly, yeah, we do a ritual. Sort of like It'll whatever. be them, them, and them. You know, and this is just going to be our standard thing that we do every time. Exactly. And it really and depends on how big your party is as well, because you're really capped so by we do this our, if you have a smaller basically, party. It's like, it gets shortened down to, okay, we do our ritual, and I'm going to temporarily learn uh, X spell. Exactly. And this could never revivify. be above six level, you know? Revivify. Yeah, you could learn Revivify. You could learn whatever, but... What level is Revivify? I believe Revivify is third level. Although, do bars already get Revivify? I'm not sure. I, I can't do. confirm that, but... I'm pretty sure they don't. Um, I'll look it up right now. But okay, sure but regardless, I think this is a annoying like thing that really just slows down rest times, you know, because everyone's like thinking, okay, what's their what hit dice am I spending? Blah, blah, blah. Right, now we're spending an hour, you know, trying to give you a, a spell. Like then you just say, all right, we do the ritual, uh, and the DM's like, okay, whatever. And suddenly, like it goes from this cool thing to you, it lost all its flavor pretty much immediately. And I feel like though the concept is cool like like that's just that in concept it's cool it's not good yeah. in practice i feel bards don't get revivify well you could pick up a, a unique spell like that and i like the idea that they are getting unique spells but and bards already get unique and on spells. top of that though you know um, bards already have access to that sort of stuff with magical secrets do you when you cast the spell the spell this way do you need components uh, you do, and it must be from divination or necromancy. So you could still pick up revivify, but it's not like any spell you can it's learn. It's conjuration, though. What do you mean, R revivify? Yeah. No, revivify is necromancy. I'm looking at the player handbook right here. Why is it? I'm pretty sure it's not conjuration. <laughs> do we have an outdated player's handbook? <laughs> Has there been? Is that a miss? Is that a miss? I'm pretty sure it's not Conjuration. Hold up. What does D&D &D Beyond say? D&D &D Beyond definitely does not say that. Let me 
Just wait a minute. Revivify. It's definitely necromancy. All the re reviving stuff is necromancy. Why does it say conjuration? Did they fix that? I'm sure they put out an announce announcement saying that's fixed. There's no yeah, it's necromancy. Big necromancy symbol. <laughs> Look here. at that. School Game necromancy. Beyond says necromancy. Our players handbook what? though. <clears throat> Looking at paper. I'm old school. Huh. Very that's weird. Why I'm the old dragon. Hmm? I wonder if they know Where that. You? Check your if you have you, a player's handbook with you, check that. Does it you say conjuration? Today, back when I used to cast for River Fire, it was conjuration. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. Typically, anything reviving your kids something in your is, modern day necromancy is a, <laughs> is a necromancy spell. So now you could learn yeah, it. Okay. But I mean, if you're using this player's handbook, uh, you, you know, can. it's funny when I thought that, like, I didn't think twice about the fact that and it was only for a second there when you said it has to be necromancy. I'm like, what? Or divination, but it's super I limited. I was you actually have magical secrets. Me. This is just this just this just sucks. Yeah, the way I would change this. The way I would change this is that I would in implementing it into the witch class i would we already have a feature called coven casting where you uh, pick two people to be within your coven yeah uh and you can give them spell slots that you already have uh, if i'm we hoping for halloween time-ish we can run a one shot with a bunch of players <laughs> that are all playing different witches all playing different witches uh yeah and we're planning to have lots of different branches for that but the way this would work is that you could it's you learn a spell level equal to proficiency bonus plus uh the number of people including you but it that they have to be within your coven. So it can be only up to other two other people. And so when you reach 17th level and you have a plus six proficiency bonus, you and your coven could prepare a ninth level spell of any kind for you, you know? But it's the idea that it's all about your coven gathering together rather than the whole party. Like, all right, well. but now you see the coven in the corner doing their, their witch things and you can learn any spell rather than just divination and necromancy. I think that could be a much sort of cooler way to do it rather than like all right blah, 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 what are we doing you know only up to the sixth level and that's like sort of putting it i feel very almost witchy you know the coven gathering together to get, go like reach to spells like they wouldn't typically have access to and things like that which i think is a fun idea um but that's my take on it moving on to 14th level that's the way things are with bards you know you go from sixth level you get a feature okay third level sixth level 14th level you know you get nothing for about eight levels but when you reach this is your final ability as a college of spirits bard your connection to spirit has become semi-permanent whenever you use your tales from beyond feature you can roll a d6 and use it instead of expending a bardic inspiration die you still use your bardic inspiration die for the tales effect without expending it yeah you just get to pick one of them so it's essentially like now you have a d12 bardic inspiration but rather than having to expend it and lose one use of your bardic inspiration every you know short or long rest when you do this now you can just roll a d6 and then, again, put it to that smaller list for free yeah. uh, without expending a spell slot to try and have a little bit more The list is broken, it. so this, spell, this sort of thing becomes a little bit moot. Yeah. So. Anyways, moving on. Moving on to Warlocks. the Undead Warlock, which I think is, okay, really dumb. Why did they call it the Undead? Well, I don't get it. Because we've got an Undying as Why well. Why do we have Undying? We have an Undying Warlock, and they decided to make an Undead Warlock. Just to confuse people even more. Like, I don't understand why they made this. Yeah. And call it the undead. This is like the worst pot. Like, this they, makes they have a, no sense. A to bit me. of a branding issue there. They should really run this by somebody. I would call this the Dreadlord because mm. it's all about like fear and I form agree. of dread and stuff like that. If I were to give this a name and if it were to be a thing, I would call it the Dreadlord. But that's just me. That makes it, to me, makes it seem a little less. Why? I, I, so I only hope that both of these spooky. Scary subclasses that have just come out, by the way. Also, interesting that the timing has also been around 
the announcement of some new Curse of legendary stuff. Curse of Strahd mm -hmm. stuff that's come out. And because I'm playing Curse of Strahd right now, running that campaign. We've had an interview with Strahd And we have, we've week. talked about this a lot. Maybe I've just got like hypersensitivity to this, but I can't help but think that there's a new Curse of Strahd expansion coming. With new subclasses and new things like that? that a new adventure, cool. a new expansion, or maybe even like we've had in previous editions that we're going to see that there are other dread planes, uh, demi-planes of dread, mm. other than just Barovia, that there's adjacent ones to it and that there's other adventures in those spaces and that we can have more spooky, gothy, horror sort of mm. uh, subclasses to support that. Yeah, and I absolutely think that this undead sort of puts it in a box. And I think calling it the Dreadlord could instead give you options like, oh, this could be a Raven Queen patron. That could absolutely be a Dreadlord. This sure. could be the Acerarach that you want. This could be the Strahd. This it could does. be I mean, the And it basically says that right in the write-up, that mm -hmm. your patron could be any Acerarach, Azalin, Lord Soth, Strahd, which are all you know in the D&D &D lore, if you're not familiar yeah. with any of those. Uh, that's a fun but, part I mean, of they list, Warlocks. You they list get to learn Strahd by his first stuff. name. Yeah. I mean, come on, Count von Zarovich, please. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the guy the guy gets like no love or respect. It's true. I mean, he is an evil vampire who's been yeah. slaving. I know, but this is the first time he's shown up. For years, first time I've seen him show decades. up listed amongst patrons for a warlock, though. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. I'm sure you can't hear it, but our, our familiar has just woken up from its nap. Like a bad dream. Bad dream. Are you okay? Did I mention the, the cursed lord too many times? Yeah, we've invoked his name too much. Did we say Strahd too often? Familiars can sense that sort of stuff. Come in for a little love. Uh, but the fun thing about warlocks is they get an expanded spell list, um, which is just brief. Bane, false life, those are okay. Blindness, phantasmal force, it's fine. Phantom spe steed, speak with the dead. I like phantom steed. It doesn't get a lot of love, so I like that showing up here. Death ward makes sense. Greater invisibility, I'm okay with. Anti-life shells, whatever, and cloud kill. Uh, okay, fine. You know, I think there could be more like spooky causing fear type stuff in this, but uh, sort of like dread type stuff. I do like the addition of Phantasmal Force, Phantom Steed, uh, Death Ward makes sense, uh, Blindness, that all is fine with me. But all of the stuff that's sort of like undead, like I'm not a big fan of uh, with this. I think just cut out the idea that you're undead and instead make it about all the sort of like spooky dread, and it could be undead type, those sort of lich stuff, or it could be Shadowfell, or it could be whatever, you know. Uh, but first level, you get your form of dread, which is your sort of your big thing, you know, like Hexblades get their Hex weapon, um, what, Fiends get their, I don't know what Fiends get, Fiends get a sort of a much more combative spell list in there their Dark One Blessing and things like that. But this is your form of dread. This is what you're all about, and you're going to be hopefully using this uh, as your big thing, you know? But uh, you can turn... I think you can transform this way a number of times with your proficiency bonus, which I like. It's not Charisma Modifier, but proficiency bonus. So a minimum of two at the gate and maximum of six and once you, you reach you have to 17th say, level. I'm going ghost. <laughs> it Well, you know what? Yeah, you do have to say that. Now that we're reading, you have to say it. I don't care if it doesn't say it here. You have to say that. And you gain when you when you enter it, it lasts for one minute. You gain temp, temporary wolf. Well, sorry, you gain temporary hit points equal to one d10 plus your warlock level, which could be a minimum of two at this point or a maximum of thirty once you reach level twenty. But that's an okay amount of temporary hit points. I'm fine with that. One d10 doesn't seem like a whole lot to me. Once during each of your turns, when you hit a creature with an attack, you can force it to make a wisdom saving throw. And if the saving throw fails, the target is frightened to view until the end of your next turn. 
why I think this fails is because now every turn, like there's just more rolls and more things getting slowed down every time you hit something, like once per turn. Like for one minute now, like every that attack you make with your packed weapon or whatever that Eldritch Blast you make now has another wisdom save attached to it. Now has another thing. Like there's just more and more rolls that really sort of clog combat um, when you're in this form, which I don't think is a very uh, fun feature for most players. Uh, and I think the frightened thing could be, I don't know, I, f- I feel like it needs to be implemented differently, but I'm also okay with you being immune to the frightened condition once you enter your form of dread. That makes sense to me. But I mm. do think that needs like things need to be frightened. Maybe instead of calling this the dread lord, I'm not sure how gender neutral that is. I mean, um, well, how about the dreaded? Okay, I'm from the dreaded. Yeah. Yeah, but still better than the undead. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's, it's too, too close to undying. <sighs> that just makes me so frustrated. The dreaded. And then the you've dreaded. got form of dread. Yeah, form of dread. You can enter your form of dread, which I would play uh, a judge. appearance of your form of dread reflects some aspect of your patron, for example. I'd, your form I'd make could be a shroud of a shadows judge, or a judge, a magistrate type character. Sure. So you could be Judge Dread. Leave. Get out. I'm doing the right th- this episode is mine now. <laughs> You're gone. No, I'm kidding. But it's I think if you if you take the undead thing away from that, you can suddenly make it so much more stuff. Like the Lady of Pain from the the you know, the, like, I don't know, the outer planes, like, the mm. in between, you know, that city, the city of whatever, that's, like, a floating ring, and that's, like, the leader of its Lady of Pain. I can't quite remember the name. I think it's Sigil or something. It's good research. If you want to know about some cool D&D lore, look up Sigil on the Lady Sigil, of Pain. Sigil's the one with, like, all the doors. Uh, yes, and the spooky, like, people who, like, are, like, weird looking and, like, behind the scenes and things. and. Huh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not up on my sigil stuff. Yeah, sigil. Check it out. Not a lot of D and D lore on it, but it's kind of cool. But um, yeah, I think the idea of taking that undead like title away is a a good start for changing the subclass. And I think making it so changing it. I don't know how I would change it, but taking away the wisdom saves from uh, every time you hit something would be a better way to do this. Uh, moving on to sixth level, you get the grave touched feature. Your patron's powers have a profound effect on your body and mar- uh, magic. You don't need to eat drink or breathe i'm okay with not eating eat drink or breathe although it does make you feel a little bit more undead stuff i'd actually put this in the undying warlock instead maybe uh, i, I think a, it's okay still for a dread lord to to be these sorts of things sure, yeah. it does it does make your like ability to to do a surprise attack from like water is pretty cool or mm. you know or just any sort of water fighting type or should like make a very sort of revenant character you know like there you know nothing can stop or, them, or the you know? the old um yeah i mean revive rogue had this for a while i like the idea of being able to use um and of course it takes some jig, jiggy getting the ability to uh cast uh mold earth cantrip but the ability to basically bury yourself in the ground just below the ground and then like ah, surprise attack basically from the grave sort of thing mm. it's kind of it's got a pretty spooky vibe yeah i i agree I, i've always liked the idea of the multi cantrip and what you can do with it uh like such as burying opponents you've made fall asleep uh under the earth and now their their ally is like five feet in the dirt and they can't do anything to you know mm. save them revivify them especially if you've knocked an enemy unconscious and there's like a some sort of healer or necromancer just burying that corpse five feet underground is a good way to solve that issue would you make a, a dreaded warlock um out of a awakened skeleton i mean that's pretty 
Seems pretty straightforward to me. I mean, sure. they, they I mean, sort of. Not. I mean, it's a little on the nose. It's a little like double double down, but. I love the idea of the uh, the awakened skeleton race. Not a real thing. Definitely a homebrew thing. But but again, if you're doing the right sort of Halloweeny vibe, playing yeah. a skeleton uh, who's who then these things kind of make a lot of sense. I mean, although I I think the awakened skeleton doesn't already doesn't need to eat or drink or breathe. But anyways, mm. but there's more to that. I mean, skipping over that little snippet, um, when you hit a creature with an attack roll and diamond roll. Oh, uh, and roll damage. And roll damage. You replace the damage type with necrotic damage, mm. which is fun. I, I'm okay with that. I mean, it but... doesn't really matter that much, except that some things are immune to bludgeoning or not immune, It's true. Some things are resistant or immune to necrotic damage as well. Uh, I yeah. think that like the, it's nice that it's a choice. And then an additional thing is, while you're using your form of dread, you can roll one additional damage die when determining the necrotic damage a target takes. Um, essentially, this means while you're in your form of dread, you're going to be doing an extra damage die all the time. And it some like when you're casting cantrips, that essentially means that your one d ten, you know, eldritch blast is going to now be doing two d ten every time you like, you know, every time you hit something. So now. 17th level when you're in your form of dread and you have this feature you can replace all your um eldritch blast with necrotic damage and now you're doing about 8d 10 plus 20 as a cantrip you think that's too much damage 8d 10 plus 20 it's better than your eldritch blast but well no you can put this on your eldritch blast that's the thing that is your eldritch blast with this feature while you're in your form of dread you can add an extra necrotic damage die to any not like any spell you cast Huh. Or any attack whatsoever. Any attack. Oh, any I attack see. whatsoever. Huh. So now you're Eldritch Blast. I was thinking like every time I was reading this, I was imagining. A sword or something? Yeah. You're attacking something like that. Uh, or again, maybe you've just got Unarmed claws. Fists. Claws or something. Yes. <laughs> headbutt. Yeah, Necrotic headbutts. That's um, a but fun yeah, like, move for like claws. Awake and skeleton. Still like things like that. But No, but this is your yeah. Eldritch Blast that now does 2d10 every time you hit something yeah. with it. Well. A DM's good. ultimate nightmare. <laughs> Well, yeah. With a cantrip that deals 2d10 plus 5 And what if you, took, and if you, if you take um, Agonizing Blast as one of your invocations? Mm -hmm. That's that, that plus 5, that extra charisma. And so when you hit 5th level at this point, and you hit both of those Eldritch Blast, you've done 40, 10 plus 10 points of damage, which is beyond broken. That's pretty awesome. In that's I would just remove this extra thing here. No, you can't do an additional damage die when determining necrotic damage if you could turn anything into necrotic damage this means you always in your form of dread deal extra damage die you know the the we were too on the nose with thinking going skeleton or going like really emo moody sort of dark hmm? edgy sort of guy what if you played a clown a bright oh. clown <laughs> like with okay. like iridescent hair and the big red nose not like That's a slap, okay. but a happy clown, big smile on your face. And then you've got these moves, right? You've got form of dread where suddenly you become this big teethy. Yeah, teethy blooded. Thing. Like, ah, um, and, and, you know, and, sort of real it style type stuff. Yeah, yeah and you're. Yeah, you're, this is how you play. And suddenly it, your Eldritch you know? Blast that comes out. Is, and actually, I want to play with a big like wooden Warhammer. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I like see a that. Big mallet. Patch of the thing. blade. You know, go improved. Packed weapon. Pick up a maybe 
talk to your DM, pick up a big like wooden mallet. Wonk. <laughs> um, it's a fun idea. Yeah. Level 10, you pick up Mortal Husk. Uh, your connection to undeath and necrotic energy now saturates your body. You have resistance to necrotic damage. Which means now you could drop a fireball on yourself. Turn it to all necrotic. Turn it to all necrotic. Take half damage yourself and deal an extra damage die to everyone else. Uh, and if you well, make, you don't get if you make fireball, your save, if you, you make your the save, then yeah. Um, yeah. I like your idea, though, where you're going with that. Uh if you are transformed into your dread form. You instead become immune to necrotic damage. So now yeah. that if you know a fireball or an area of effect, something like that, you drop it on yourself, take no damage from it, and everyone else takes 96. Fun or days. even more if you cast it at a higher level. It's To me, just get rid of the extra damage dice while in your form of dread. I like That's the next too bit, much though. If you reduce to zero hit points, your big fat clown body explodes. I, I don't like this. I feel like this completely breaks... This makes no sense to me as a feature. I don't know why this um, So like, I don't like is this. Is this after you fail your death saves or just immediately when you hit zero? No, immediately when you hit zero. Each creature within 30 feet of you takes <laughs> a ton of necrotic damage. Uh, so you're at least 10th level at this point. So it's going to take 2d10 plus 10. Or since it's necrotic damage and maybe you're in your form of dread, they take 3d10 plus yeah. your Warlock level, um, which is still less than your Eldritch Blast. And then after you explode, all the pieces just go back together. And there you are. There with one, one hit point, point along with all your gear and you gain one level of exhaustion. Oof, that was tiring. I don't like this feature. This makes no sense to me. I don't like this. Why all. is it exploding? Why does it explode? As a clown, this is that's actually kind of funny. It's got the sound of a balloon popping. Oh no. And then oh. everybody around you just gets like, covered with green slimy clown goo yeah it's like when they first and kill then, it and then he comes back then, you know whoop, like you're all back into yeah. one piece <laughs> yeah i'm not a fan of this feature this makes no sense to me i why does this exist like as a thing as a part of the undead this even as the like under the context of this was an undead thing this doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there aren't like it's not like strahd explodes into like I mean, maybe you like think you explode into like a, a swarm of bats and then form back together or things like that, or like into mist or something. But like, yeah, I don't. Ugh, know. This I don't is know a funny this. one. This I wonder. Weird... I, I just sometimes I would like to be on in the writer's room. I'd like to be wherever it is. And what are they thinking? Are they like? You know, like and again, they try to like do it, it in the like YouTube videos. Sometimes like, I also wonder, like from watching the YouTube videos, that is it just one person who's penned this? Mm. And yeah, they they showed it to somebody at the line to like. Like, yeah, spell check good. it um you know what i mean it's been lightly edited um and then they just kind of chucked it out there but it sort of feels to me that like and we're not the only ones out in internet space who dissect these things um that it doesn't take long for experienced dms to sort of go through these and go what what I this is yeah, i mean crazy. this is this is not not good. for me at all and, and then the final feel like feature. with the experience people they have like, who've played a lot of D&D there, like you'd sort of think they could look at this and go, yeah, no, this is some of this stuff looks like homebrew by somebody who's just started playing the game. I mean, that's OK. I, and, I love, and don't get me wrong. Don't if you're just start playing that's the game some of the out best there, homebrew. That's some of the craziest homebrew out there. <laughs> and you're having fun with it. Go ahead. But it's you, you'll learn really quickly that it's quite easy to yeah, lose really balance and throw a party. Your, exactly. your game into a sort of disarray when you introduce mm. <sighs> unproven homebrew. Exactly. And I think the problem with this, the reason this stands out to me as a bad 
and homebrew I, or bad I, mean, I still do it. I still I still find things on the internet that I think are cool and I'm like oh I'm gonna bring that into my game or I'll tweak this or I'll homebrew a little thing exactly and, and then you realize the law of unintended consequences always comes back to bite you Think of like um, Dusted Deliciousness with the gesture if you ever watched Critical yeah, Role. Yeah, but that's not even that homebrewy. <laughs> it's true. I mean, um, I mean, he did homebrew it. But. Yeah, I mean, I I put a uh, a essentially like a dog whistle into the game that affects uh, uh, that can basically incapacitate creatures with uh, keen hearing mm. and keen senses. Uh, and, and the idea was, well, that they have to be careful how they use it because they've got elves in the party and there's others with keen senses that, you know, they, they but it's meant to take down werewolves. The idea was that, yeah, and I was giving it to them because they were a low level party. And I thought if they go storming straight into the wolf's den, they're all going to die. And I wanted to give them sort of a means of escape and protection. And, uh, and that wolf whistle has just turned out to be way op mm. <laughs> i mean it doesn't do any damage um but, but they don't have a turn anymore incapacitating like the, exactly. them really takes them out of the fight mm. uh, even though they can save there's a save against it and stuff they usually don't they mm. um but once they pass it then they've passed it for good so you know but it is it's enough of a hindrance that it's i mean it certainly kept them from dying yeah they're, they're doing fine now but I would, I would, that whistle has no limited uses on it. <laughs> that true. was That's, the other problem. That needs to be a... It's okay. there forever. That's, I'm like... Oh. I mean, there's really simple ways to nerf something. And we've talked about this in a previous episode, how to nerf a magic item after the fact, after you introduce it. But it's really just about, you know, introducing, all right, now it has limited uses. Now it only means they can't take reactions. Yeah. Now they can't move. Now they can't do... And, and making it very specific or like rewording it or... You know, changing. I'm going to make a. I want to give my characteristic a little stun gun of some sort, something that stuns or incapacitates. I warn you, that is a very powerful yeah. tool. Really quick Just way to shut it down. It doesn't the do damage. Like, if there's enough other party members who can do damage, if you take one of the baddies, it means out, now that baddie can't do damage to you. But which they, is I mean, also the thing about incapacitated. My idea was that they can still move, mm. and that the tactic would be if they hear it that they while not frightened of it they would want to move away from it so they would run spend their turn getting away um yeah it, it maybe just changing it so that they are frightened of it you know like that way you get the same effect you yeah know? they still end up running away it's it's too late now it's out there and this you is can my change it. my warning to dms everywhere even the smallest little thing that you introduce can have far greater effects than or could think. be very very fun yeah it, i mean i think the players are loving it so mm. i think i want to talk about this last feature here and then talk about why this fails as a subclass uh 14th level spirit projection so i have like a spirit theme here um you can sort of like shunt your spirit out of your body if you will you know like you're you know you, you get it you know yeah. you get the idea of like leaving your body i mean there's an astral projection spell for it but your spirit can remain outside of your body for up to one hour until your concentration is broken. So you can be concentrating on other spells while you're doing this. Uh, when your uh, projection ends, your spirit returns to your body or your body magically teleports to your spirit space. Which means that you can essentially so, now... It should go, your spirit should go back to your body. Yeah. It's, the body, body magically teleporting. So now you can move through walls. You can. It's, it's such a good teleportation spell. I mean, I know it's 14th level, but essentially you have one hour... Mm. It, I guess you're still stuck to your, your your flying speed equals your walking speed, right? So 
you're still limited to human or you know basic whatever um, you are exactly. character types. Although speed. you could cast, although you fly, can, although you are no, you well, can't. You are you're concentrating. You're already flying. It's so, true. You can't be concentrating. So you can, but say you're a tabaxi. But you can go up close. You can go up <laughs> no. at great heights with it. You yeah, can spend. True. You can cover across very difficult, dangerous terrain. Um, you can move through creatures. You could move yeah. through walls. You can. Uh, but essentially, here's what you gain. It gives you a list of what you gain. Your spirit and body gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, which is a very powerful thing to have. Uh, when you cast a spell of the Conjuration or Necromancy school, the spell doesn't require verbal, somatic, or material co components that lack a gold cost. So now, a bunch of spells out there. I mean, I'm trying to think of things off the top of my head. You can't cast any concentration spell. Inflict wounds. You can't cost it. It's true. So it does limit you a bit. You can't cast concentration spells, and they can't have material components with gold costs. You can't do revivify or something along yeah. those lines. Uh, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed and can hover. You can move through creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain, which is essentially two feet for every one feet of movement. Uh, but you take 1d10 force damage if you end your turn inside a creature or an object. While you're using your form of dread, once during each of your turns when you deal necrotic damage to a creature, you regain hit points equal to half the amount of necrotic damage dealt, which you keep in mind is... Also increased by. I'm such a really good die. vampire. <laughs> so at 14th level, yeah, you're like you're like draining people. <laughs> While um, in your ghost form. Yeah, I mean, assuming, assuming that you're down hit points. Exactly, but uh, once you use this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. So essentially, once a long rest, you can, for an hour, exit your body. I think it's kind of unclear if you can if you have no control over your body while projecting your spirit. Um. Oh, no, never mind. It does make that clear. You're, the body you leave behind is unconscious and in a state of suspended animation. So could you, like, jump off a cliff and right as you're about to fall, zhoof, exit, and you're just, like, hovering in midair? And then, like, float down to the ground as a spirit and zhoof, magically teleport back down? So you take no fall damage? I guess. I mean, that's kind of, like, being a little bit cheesy about it, but I'm trying to think about what that suspended animation means. But this is also very powerful, and I think... A lot of things here gave me like the sign of uh, an overpowered subclass or a subclass that isn't really well thought through and needs a lot of tweaking. And I think this is something to watch out for if you ever read a homebrew subclass online. Uh, are they doing something that already exists? You know, does this is already exist in your game? Is this stepping on the toes of something else? Yeah. And, and that's actually, in some ways, it's okay when you're creating a new subclass that mirrors a different class. Mm. Um, but it shouldn't be such a direct ripoff that there's no point in having the other subclass. Exactly. Yeah. Playing any. Like, so other thing. the idea it's... is like, oh, I want to play a bit more of a roguish war warlock. That's cool. You should have subclasses that can lend itself to doing that. But it should or always options, be you know? it should always be a roguish warlock rather than a better rogue. I mean, a clear example of that is with the ranger and how, like we discussed in our new feats episode, the tracker yeah. feat just steps on everything, um, along with everything else, else that's already out there about make, the ranger. We've shown but, how to make a more interesting paladin hmm, from a ranger subclass. Exactly. And there are many things you can do with a ranger. Interesting ranger out of a scout subclass. Hmm. And this, I mean, there are a lot of things you this, can make a ranger in a lot of ways. This is what I'm actually really like not in D and D is sometimes having an idea for what something looks like, but instead of going the obvious, the trope, obvious yeah. trope. Um, and so then that's the other question I ask when I look at these new subclasses that come out. 
I'm like, oh, do these make for a more interesting version of something else? Um, or a different version or a way that you could do something unorthodox right. or a new, unique character. Can, I make, the can I make a, a, a ranger out of College of Spirits? Can I make a ranger out of the dreaded, um, you know, not that I need to make a ranger out of these, but you know, that that's a good, like that sort of test. Can I, what other sort of class could I make out of these? What kind of class would they be close to? Do I have an idea that comes up? Um, and like I said, I actually, now that we're just talking through it, I kind of, again, if we were playing a Halloween-y sort of thing, playing a, a uh, warlock, the dreaded clown. It's a fun um, idea. You know, variant human might be really awesome. But um, I think another issue with this is that it's sort of a little unfocused, and a lot of the features don't even make like, sense with the original like, theme. Played like half orc or something, like really big, with the clown as well. That would be great. You mean, or like a uh, Goliath clown, or a little halfling clown, oh, yeah. a little gnome. Yeah, little ones are little crazy, cool. terrifying, jumpy, all over the place. Doll size thing. Yeah, but then it like. The problem with that is you think it's a cool idea and then you start reading the features and you're like, oh, well, would my clown spirit project? Would my clown? Yeah, we're not going to get that in high level likely, but. But still, though, like it's. I would like them to explode, though. That's, another problem. I would like very much them to go mm. pop. I think that could be a cool idea like in itself. But I mean, it's sort of too singular. I think I, I, there'd be a different way to introduce that. But the when the features are sort of too all over the place to make a consistent character concept for me, I have trouble using a subclass. Like this would be hard for me to use because I don't think I could make an edgy sort of straw type thing with the exploding body when I die feature or the yeah. like. If you want. If and the spirit projection and the thing. It just feels too all over the place to me. Um, yeah. I, I, we want to make somebody who's who's got a kind of ghostly, terrifying sense to them without being comedic, I think. And the, the exploding thing is just comedic. It's just too I think you could try and hilarious. spin it in a way. And the form of dread is like, okay, so you've got a, a thing that lasts for one minute feature that you activate. Then you have a six level feature that is a, a constant sort of passive boon to the fact that you don't need to eat, breathe, or drink. And so so there's an undying sort of like you're undead. Uh, you don't need to eat, breathe, or you know, brink. That was all of that sentence was crazy. Uh, and you deal extra necrotic damage. All right, so you're super beefed up, crazy, like breaking bounded, not bounded accuracy, but damage thresholds to an insane level. Yeah, insane, 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 you're, insane. You're way outside. Like that, you just need you can't deal extra and damage. I, and again, again, I'm so surprised crazy. that that they've released something that. So clearly, is outside of their so crazy, their so insanely averages. broken. Dealing four d ten damage is a six level character is crazy, crazy. Plus ten, if you hit both of those, whoa, that's a lot of damage. Yeah. And they have to now make a wisdom save for each of those eldritch blasts you hit them with. So there's an additional two rolls that they make, and they're frightened of you, which means they have disadvantage on attack rolls against you. I, so such even post disadvantage because you're making them roll you, twice against. It. But still, it's as a rule of thumb, if you're cooking up a subclass. You need to look at the ranger of that level and say, "Am I doing more damage than this ranger?" If so, you've, you've <laughs> oh, I you've mean that means every class is you've overpowered, overpowered you. I know, but this, but you hear what I'm saying though. Like, it's so easy to write. Oh, let's put an extra D whatever on this. 
give them a little extra love. No, no, go back, go look at how limited some of the real classes are in D&D. Bound yourself to the same levels as those. Mm. Um, and think about other subclasses as well. If you look at the warlock, I mean, if you're making a warlock subclass or other worldly patron, look at the existing ones, you know, are again, going back to this, like, does this idea exist? What is missing from these ideas that I want to put into the game that isn't itself inherently more powerful or overriding? And I think that's another problem with the Hexblade, as cool as it is, yeah. is that it's just too powerful. I, I would like, again, and that's because I've too played a of lot of Curse of Strahd and I've got a lot of, you know, I have a lot of history going back with Ravenloft, other editions. The idea of a <clears throat> dreadlord patron mm. who's grooming you to become a dreadlord of a demi plane of dread. And what does that mean? You know, control of the land, control of the weather. Um, those things are all parts of being a dreadlord. None of those are kind of in here. I think I mean, that's... being frightening is a big part of it. I think being it's, able that's to, a simple idea, though. I think we just go off the to, idea of being frightening. Being able to summon minions. Being able I don't to think bring, that's necessary either. I think that I'm, could be introduced in... I know, but I'm just in, saying this is... If you're going for this theme, like there's... And that's not the theme they're going for. Well... To me, I don't know what they're going for. Are they going for something undead? Are they going for something... All right, are you trying to scare things? Are you trying to deal crazy necrotic damage and be undead? Are you trying to be weird and, and explode again, like a, a, some kind a of fiend? Ground. Or, or um, some sort of ghost thing like it's and all again, over the place this is kind of all over the place and again this is where revisions and editing needs to come back does and strahd explode nope does strahd deal crazy he turns to mist which yeah, again if, he... you, if your character did the same when it drops to zero it returns to mist it turns to mist and must return does to he project his spirit a grave or something like that where it can re-materialize does he project his spirit does he deal he... In, couple of times does he turn all of his damage into necrotic he deals extra necrotic damage when he hits you okay so that's something on theme i suppose but i'm trying to think here like things don't really fall in line with any core character concept does asirak the lich uh project their spirit does he explode i don't know maybe he does i don't think so but that really so it's like all right there's a few things i'm trying to like when building a subclass not to make it so you, there's only one or two like ideas that you have to fall under but could my patron be like like a, a clown master you know he's my like head clown or like maybe like a director for like this circus or like whatever you know and you you're a part of his circus circus demi like dread lord type thing and or a ringmaster for example Yep, I got all of that cooking up. Although my ringmaster for my dread circus is a necromancer, but I mean, just thinking about trying to go all the different directions with this, and I don't don't like how it's called undead and stepping on other things' toes. I don't like how it's un, like thematic and all over the place. I don't like how much damage this thing can deal in comparison with everyone else to a point where everything else seems sort of useless. I don't think uh, it's. I don't think this is a very good subclass. If I'm being honest, I think this needs a lot of revision. I think. It needs to get its act together, know what it's doing. Stronger theme. Like it needs a stronger thematic pull and tie to all of it. Yeah. And I think it needs to be called the dreaded. Yeah. And not the undead. Because I think that is perhaps the worst possible name <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, the, wor the, only, the only thing worse than that is calling it the undying and having two different undying warlocks. I, <clears throat> I just think there is, I just think there's a lot of stuff being cooked up. That it, it feels like there's more. There's more demi planes of dread coming. Mm, yeah, 
I, I agree. And I think that this is a failure and attempt at that. But I think we're coming, we're nearly reaching an hour here already. Wow. Um, how time flies when we're getting angry at Unearthed Arcana. We're not really angry or spicy no, about true. salty about this. I am, <clears throat> it's important to know, like we said, there's no real broken class. You can play anything and it's going to be fun. I think our criticisms on this is that if I'm trying to build a really cool thematic character, and the same for you, we want something that has has a more clear focus, like a, a more clear way to sort of get into that one thing. And when they're very spread out and kind of scattered and they're not, they're sort of a bunch of different things clumped together, it's really hard to come up with something that's thematically strong as a character. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if, we have, if we're critical of the weaknesses, even though we're picking apart the minutia in here, what we're really, what we really like um, when we see a subclass, a really good one, is something that's got a clear, a clear theme. Um, and I think this is true for any storytelling, is if you're a writer, if you're trying to be a good DM, if you're trying to put a good campaign, good like NPCs, whatever it is, each piece of it needs to be very, very clear. Like the theme needs to be strong and pure and not too muddled. Like you can do hybrid, you can put stuff together. I'm not we're saying that you can't create something new um, from two different things, but, but make it so that in an instant, when somebody else sees that thing you've created, they go, Oh yeah, I know what that is. Those are cool. Right. Where these, you look at them and you start to think, Oh, I know what that is. That's cool. And then you read through it and you're like, okay, well, you're not doing the same thing you started out to do. Mm. You, you know, that opening thesis statement that they have at the top of each of the subclasses should control all of the features that follow and they don't the features that follow are all over the place yeah they deviate sometimes they, exactly. they become other classes with that belong under a different write-ups so yeah just i could think I, I think that a spirit warlock the spirit you know or the the you know the departed and perhaps it's a loved one that you lost that you now have some sort of sure patron connection with you know, or some sort of spirit that's like of the woods that you're a bit like, you know, really connected to. And that could be all spirit projection-y, summoning spirits. All of these all great of ideas. Things. You start but, with a theme. Like and a you very build specific, everything around that theme. Yeah, exactly. like that thesis, that, that opening statement that says what you're all about, and then you stay to it. I mean, that's how you make a good. Uh, that's how you start. That's how to properly start making a good right. homebrew subclass. And, and from that, people can make really great characters because they know what they're doing. I think we need to wrap up. Okay. It's been 102 minutes. No, 62 minutes. We're out. Two. We're out. We're out. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. We will see you again next week. Uh, maybe with some Arcana. I don't know if we'll be out by then or maybe some other things to talk about. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.